Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, and I'd like to welcome you to another self coaching session where real life emotional struggle, whether it's anxiety, depression, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. And for today's podcast, I'd like to introduce you to Lauren Simonian. Aside from her many qualifications and talents, Lauren happens to be my daughter, <laughs> but we won't hold that against her. I think you'll find her a great addition to my self-coaching podcast, and I hope to coerce her into becoming a regular guest. Now, Lauren is a licensed self-coaching wellness coach who has dedicated her life to her own personal development and her pursuit to help others realize a, a life of freedom and joy. And Lauren is also trained in mindfulness. She is a mindfulness teacher who has worked with students for 13 years in the public school setting. And most recently, Lauren created a curriculum that launched one of the state's first successful health and wellness classes for her students, grade K through five. Welcome to Self-Coaching, Lauren. Thanks so much, Dad, or Dr. Joe. It's so great to be on your show with you. Well, it's really nice having you. Uh, since I come from a parochial school background where it was exclusively the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, heck, we didn't even have recess. So I'm curious to know more about your rather unusual classes and even more curious to hear how the kids and parents respond to your unique form of self-coaching. I love that you call the class unusual because when I first started creating the curriculum, I felt the same way that it was an unusual sort of thing to be teaching in schools. And it was so interesting because I remember so vividly that first day of teaching this whole new approach and this new curriculum, um, trying to justify it to the students and explain to them, this might feel strange or this might be different. And the children had no barriers to any of it. They were so open and receptive to this, what we call unusual content. And to them, it, it was the most natural thing that they could learn. It was learning about themselves. So did really you find that the parents had more of a transition to this than the kids? Honestly, I think the parents have been incredibly supportive because um, in the district where I work, the parents are wonderful. The community is great. And I think everyone is starting to realize the importance of emotional well-being in our children and understanding how important it is more than your teachers knew at the time when they were teaching you reading, writing, and math with no recess. Yeah. <laughs> um, nowadays, we understand how important the whole child is. And the skills that we're teaching in these health and wellness classes, in my opinion, and the opinion of the parents are equally as important for a child's growth. Yeah, you know, uh, and, and when I look back now, I look back a long way. And But you know what? Back when I went to school, I'm talking the 50s. Uh, certainly, uh, if someone had, if I had gone home and said to my parents, we're going to start wellness training, <laughs> I think, I think they would have changed schools for me. 
But, uh, but you know, one thing, Lauren, uh, I, I've always felt, and I sincerely mean this, for a long, long time, and I, I've kind of said this to many people, that starting in kindergarten, why aren't we teaching psychology? You know, reading, writing, arithmetic, okay. But obviously, we do much more nowadays. But why isn't psychology? I mean, I'm, I'm a psychologist. I work with people. And I work with people whose backgrounds all have contributed to their ups and downs, their anxieties, their depressions. Why aren't we starting? And that's exactly what I'm hearing from you. You have started, and you are starting to bring kids into a psychological perspective that will serve them the rest of their life. Is that how you see it? I do. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I'm so grateful to work in the Creskill School District because they embrace this idea of children really needing and wanting to understand themselves and regulate their emotions in order to be able to learn all that they're capable of. Otherwise, their own anxieties, their own insecurities, and the pressures of the world around them interfere and they can't reach their yeah. potential. You know, you talk about their own anxieties. What do you, when you, you as a professional, when you see kids that are struggling, how does it manifest themselves in children? Kids of all different capabilities from all different backgrounds are having the same feeling of pressure. And I think it's just this overstimulated world that we are in. And even for me as a kid, it, it wasn't like this. I mean, we had computers and we had TV, but it wasn't like a nonstop overstimulus, instant gratification sort of world mm -hmm. that these kids are growing up in. Boy, that's, so, that's for sure, isn't it? Yeah, uh, boy, I, I really re resonate with that. I mean, I'm I'm old school, and I see kids. Uh, you know, I was, I was at uh, I jog around this this um, basketball court at the local uh, little league field, and there's this one boy there every day when he happens to be there when, when I jog around, and uh, he he brings a basketball, and he shoots free throws, and he does his dribbling. And then he, he, there was like a, a folding chair he brought out to, to the center of the court. And, and as I'm jogging around, I see he put his phone on there and he would take one or two or three shots, go to the phone, check his whatever, <laughs> take a shot, take a shot, go to the phone. And, and I was thinking, there's something wrong with that. Now, is it just me because I'm an old fogey or, or is there something wrong with that hyperstimulation, you know, that multitasking? And, and, and I, I, I cop, you know, to the, uh, you know, the plea that I am, I am old school. And for me to see that distractiveness, that, that, that desire to do 42 things at once and every single task being interfered with by all of this other, multitasking, this juggle of other things. I mean, what say you being the pro? Yeah, I agree. I think that being distracted is an epidemic for sure. Um, it definitely, I know, I'm sure parents struggle, but school teachers absolutely have an issue um, getting children to attend for more than even just a couple of seconds. As you say, that, that boy who is choosing to play basketball, something that he clearly loved doing on his free time, couldn't even stay focused on that. So imagine trying to teach a kid math or social studies in a classroom. Um, it becomes difficult. And I think that it speaks for itself when I go into a classroom and the kids from the moment I walk in are asking, begging, can we do a moment of meditation? Um, and some of them will ask, can we do five minutes today? Oh, wait, uh, wait, wait. Let me interrupt a second. Now <laughs> you're, you're telling me and our audience that mm. kids are begging for meditation you, you got to dig deeper into that that's <laughs> that's just incredible 
Yeah, it's it's um it gives them permission, I think, to to shut down for a moment, and also knowing that everybody else in the classroom is is doing the same thing, so they're not missing anything, and they'll tell me afterwards that it's this calming feeling that they don't feel any other time um, of the day because now, they don't. Kids that, that that are looking at their cell phones incessantly, that are watching their their TVs and their movies and and all of this social stuff going, and you're telling me that that they have a capacity for calming down. This is revolutionary. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah, I think we all have the capacity for it. But but these kids, uh, there's a part of them that is longing for it. And yet they can't always give it to themselves because of this need or this compulsion to be following along with all that's happening at, at every direction, at every time in their lives. Yeah, I think there's a reset button that that they're craving to press. Yeah, you know what you're saying is that this this is really important for me is that they are longing for it. Boy, if that's the case, then we have this world has kind of spun the wrong way on its axis because rather than giving them what they long for that 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 maybe solace and that that peace we're we're giving them we're feeding them this hyper vigilant hyperactive lifestyle which is pulling them further and further away from their center is that kind of how you see it yeah i, I would agree with that and i i actually uh it was last year last spring right before covid hit that i had gone outside to the playground and there were some fifth grade boys who decided and they didn't even know I was outside at that point so one would think that maybe they were doing it to impress me but there were three of them that decided they wanted a break from even from recess and so they found this quiet spot under a tree and I saw them they were in the full meditation position and they were meditating and so when I went outside the other kids ran over and they they said go look look at what the boys are doing and and by the time I left it was half the kids had joined into this peaceful meditation and it just was it was eye-opening for me because you see there's a there's a need for it that is amazing <laughs> so, so i just want to recap now you're saying now what were they doing they were in uh, some kind of an argument or something that they needed to to calm down was that, was that i don't happening? know what I, i'm not really sure what the impetus was because i came out mid meditation session but uh <laughs> But yeah, they were. No, now wait, kids, kids don't sit and meditate. <laughs> this, this is crazy. Um, I, I think you've got something, you know, the tiger by the tail here. I mean, if this is what kids are capable of and longing for and actually doing when they feel that stress, wow, that, that's all I could say. This is it, the psychology that I always said we needed to have at an earlier age. Can you imagine if adults could follow that same practice? And I guess that's what all of this mindfulness is about. We're trying to just get people to realize that we need to come back to this. What, what would you call it? A, a calmer place? Yeah, it's almost just an equilibrium. I think mm. the world is spinning so fast always, but especially now that it's just finding that balance. And, yeah. and you need, at least I explained to the kids, it's, it's like your brain is a computer. And if you have hundreds of thousands of tabs open, eventually you're going to crash or they'll, or it will slow down. You can't do the things you want to do as well as you want to do it. You have yeah. to reset the computer. You know, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, the thing is that you say the world is spinning faster and faster. You know, what I say is that the world isn't spinning any faster today than it did 2 million years ago. 
It is our perception that changes our world. Our world is spinning faster because we are spinning faster. So if the world is spinning at the same rate, and if we are the ones that are pushing it further and further in our minds, then it only makes sense that we can slow it down. If it's all about perception, if it's all about the way we orient ourselves, then we could slow down that spinning world and bring it back to normalcy. What do you think? Absolutely. I agree. And I, I think that it's important for adults to, to understand the way to self-regulate their own emotions and their own overstimulation, because without that modeling, children can't learn how to do it. I think it's easier for kids. I really think that children have the advantage here because their programming is much, much less dense than ours is. So to teach a kid how to meditate is actually, in my opinion, much easier than teaching an adult. That's that's um, a great that's a great self-coaching point, is because you know, with self-coaching, life is all about habit formation. And when habits are, are laid down early in life, uh, they become embedded, you know, very, very deeply and very uh, importantly in areas of our brain that just travel with us throughout our lives. And they're much more resistant to change, especially the negative habits. So with self-coaching, of course, we're always going back and we're trying to neutralize these negative habits. But what you're saying is that you're catching these kids in the formative years, in those years when these habits are just being laid down. So you can interrupt the formation of the negative and replace it with the positive. So this is this is really ripe for positive growth. Uh, tremendous, tremendous, I think, development. Uh, and again, Lauren, I, th I think that what you're doing with kids is is truly amazing. And I know you've been a classroom teacher before, so so you know the frustrations that uh, that teachers and parents deal with with kids that are too distracted, too upset, and and. I'm sure you'll you'll address this with COVID. Kids have to interpret all of this. I mean, even as adults, we don't really interpret what's going on, what's going to happen, our fears, our you know, our expectations, our pessimisms. Even we as adults are having a tremendous amount of problems, anxieties, depressions. What are kids going through? Is it similar to adults, or do you do you see it as somewhat different? I think kids are struggling in a way that is similar to what you're what you're speaking of i think that that kids tend to pick up more acutely what's happening around them in terms of like the energetic feelings so if they're in a home where parents are struggling to figure out their work situation or if they're really worried about somebody in their family being sick whatever the case may be um, even if a kid doesn't express that outwardly for the most part, they're really feeling that internally. And then that winds up being translated throughout their day when they're away from their family. So you see a lot of that. Um, I think the uncertainty is also difficult because kids crave structure and they crave boundaries. It's, it's something that um, a dear friend of mine once taught me. She said, no matter how much kids push against the boundaries, they are craving and begging you to keep that boundary because it, may, it means they don't have to do it for themselves. So. I think in this time, it's really difficult to for, for adults who don't really know how to navigate the situation to make a clear and structured approach for their kid to navigate. So I just see a lot of kids kind of trying to figure out how is this how is this all going to, to work out? Mm. What about what, what do you see in terms of the, you know, all of these shutdowns and 
quarantine and all of that. Kids, kids are home a lot more as our parents working remotely. There is this confinement uh, where families have never been uh, kind of exposed to, to such, you know, in your face kind of relating. What kind of problems do you see currently with, with kids and families just trying to tolerate each other? I think the, the the things that you would expect, I think, are coming up just in terms of sharing space. There are multiple um, children and parents that are trying to work and go to school at the same time. There are parents that are trying to work and help their kids um, with their schoolwork. And I think kids are really more used to being in a classroom where they can have access to the help that they need um, instantaneously as opposed to, you know, having to be patient and wait for somebody to finish their work day to come and help them. There's a lot of that uncertainty, like that emotion that's not fully processed, which is getting in the way of kids being fully attentive and focused. Mm -hmm. And so I guess guess mom and dad, uh, you know, yelling at each other and struggling, you know, this, this, this trickles down, of course, to to those younger psyches. Now, now you reach these kids primarily by Zoom, I'm, I'm sure. What kind of things can you do with Zoom for wellness? I thought the same thing over the summer when I was planning, and I've actually found it to be really uh, effective because through Zoom, there is, well, first of all, there's a way to gather with, with many kids. And so they're meeting kids from across the across the town. And um, there's this nice community that we've built. And they we do, so we'll do meditation together through Zoom. And it's this nice collective relaxation piece. Uh, we've talked a lot about really the science behind what our brains are experiencing and how this feeling of stress is actually that amygdala in our brain that's starting to fire off and make us feel like we are trying to protect ourselves um, when really we are safe at home. And so it's this it's learning the tools to self-soothe and to actually be your own caretaker so even if your mom or dad are at work or even if your mom and dad are stressed like you can have the tools to self-regulate for yourself and they're really open to it and i feel like the kids have been very honest and also brave in their vulnerability sharing the different things they're going through for kids to hear that from each other it becomes it makes for a safe space and it also inspires the other children. I would say too, uh, just to add, I think when adults are brave enough to share their vulnerable emotions with their kids, I know that adults instinct is to protect their children, but I think when they can be honest, it actually, it actually protects your kid by sharing with them what you're experiencing. Yeah. I guess also it, it probably validates what they're feeling, you know, because let's say a child is feeling just scared and unnerved by what what's going on around them, what kids are saying, what what they hear on the news clips. So, so when an adult brings that reality and and says, "Yeah, this is this is stressful," you know, it's hard it's hard to handle all this stuff. It kind of validates the kid's perception that, gee. I guess I'm not so alone. This this is something that we're all dealing with. But I guess there's there's also a limit to that. I mean, it has to be filtered down in a way that kids can process it without overburdening the child. So so there's a fine line, isn't there, between adults trying to, you know, give their kids a handle on what is the reality of the moment 
and filtering it in such a way that they can process it in a healthy way rather than to overburden that amygdala and causing that stress response. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that giving, creating space for your child to, to share what it might be that they're feeling. And some, sometimes that's difficult to pinpoint. So I think it, in, and I agree with you, you're, you're not going to go into the inner depths of your financial stress or, you know, anything that's going to trigger a fear response in your child. But by sharing like today, I'm feeling a little bit uneasy because I wish that I could be with grandma and I can't or whatever that whatever that might be, like the disappointment or just to, to name the emotion is helpful for the child because they start to realize that these sensations and feelings actually have a name and they're shared by adults too. And it's not bad to feel that. And you can express it instead of stuffing it down. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know what uh, the word is for. You know, you know uh, all of this is, is making perfect sense. And particularly in the climate of this, this dis-ease that we all feel, this is, this is just what the doctor ordered. Um, when, when you, when you do your zoom stuff, uh, how, give it, give me a glimpse. How, how exactly do you teach meditation to a kindergartner? <laughs> uh, so I mean, obviously it's not, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, they do like making that sound. I have to say, uh, but kindergarten, I, we typically will start just with breathing exercises because they're more tangible. So in my most recent one, they all brought their favorite stuffed animal and we gave it a very calming name. And then um, we did belly breathing. So they would lay on their belly and put the stuffed animal on their oh. belly and have it rise and fall. So it was like a, almost like a soothing, soothing sensation for the, for the stuffed animal. Oh man, I gave my cubby bear away. I wish I still, <laughs> cubby, where are you? <laughs> we'll get you a cubby for Christmas. <laughs> so, so go ahead now. So you put the, the, the calming, stuffed animal on your belly go ahead yeah and and then they learn the breathing technique to get to move their breath all the way down into their lower belly so that the stuffed animal will rise and fall <laughs> and it sounds like such a simple exercise but uh training your breath in that way can be really powerful because then at any time when they need to self-soothe self-soothe they can use that strategy and they'll come back to subsequent meetings and they'll actually talk about how they use the strategies. Um, I had one little kid the other day tell me that their goldfish died. And when their goldfish died, they used multiple strategies from class. She said, first, I had to use my deep breathing. And then I had to notice my thoughts, which were really negative, And I had to shift them to positive. And she just went through a whole list of, of mm. things. And it was it was so inspiring to hear that these kids are actually uh, internalizing the, the lessons and, and they're using them. And it's just, it's remarkable because it's yeah. things you wish you could do as an adult. Well, as adults, I, I guess I, I used to call it diaphragmatic breathing, but I love the stuffed animal. It makes more sense to me that way. And, and it's, and it's so true. We, we breathe in such a shallow way that when we start get doing that belly breathing, that's, that's the real deep breath. Um, and, and so really what we're doing here is, not only are we calming down the physiology with the deep breathing, but you're training these kids to to let go of extraneous thinking and to just be with that calming effect. Is is, is that kind of how you see it? Yes, I, I I think so. And and in the younger grades, like you had said, it's they need something tangible. 
until they get a bit older when they can just rely on the breath. But and in the younger grades, we try to have something that they can associate with to help it to become clear to them. So the stuffed animal helps with the breathing. The We just created these, what we called comfort objects. So we found little, little objects like a little stone or something that they could keep in their pocket. And they made birth certificates for it. So the comfort object is has a name and a birthday. And then it also has a favorite saying. And so we were talking about different positive affirmations. And the comfort object, whenever you touch it inside of your head, you hear that positive affirmation. And so they wound up creating a whole vocabulary for this little object. So it's almost like an imaginary friend that is always, we call it, it's like your little coach. So whenever you're having difficulty doing schoolwork or you're uncertain, you grab the object and you just sort of touch it in your fingers and you think about what are the positive things this, this object or this friend might tell me. So it's actually training their own inner voice through an object because the inner voice, of course, is too intangible for, for a younger child. I think that you tell me if I'm, I'm, I'm wrong on this, but wouldn't the same techniques with just slight modification be applicable to adults? I mean, are, are we so different? I know I often tell uh, people that are suffering from ruminative anxiety or depression, and, and they kind of forget about their, their, their center or their healthy thoughts. Uh, and I tell them, take a business card and on the back of the card, write down, you know, a few of the, the, the moments of clarity that you have as to where you want to be and what really matters and stuff like that. But you're kind of saying that, that we need to kind of have these objects, these things that, that kind of refocus us. But, but aren't, can, can we expand this to adults as well? Absolutely. I call them touchstones and it's something that I use often, which is where I got the idea from. Uh, but for me, usually it has, it's in the morning time, I'll think of an intention for the day or something that I don't want to lose sight of no matter what happens throughout the day. And so for me, I wind up choosing um, a piece of jewelry to put on my body. And when I do, when I put it on, I'll intentionally think of that one thing, like maybe it's just staying present today, or maybe it's um, being compassionate to myself remembering to have fun or finding places to laugh, whatever it is. And so then throughout the day, when I notice that piece of jewelry, uh, I'll return to the intention. So it just keeps me like centered on that touchstone and that intention, which, yeah. So I think, you know, people do it in all different ways. Touchstone, um, but I do think touchstone. I love that. It, that's, that's, that's fantastic because we do forget as we lose touch with our own, if you will, sanity, and we let ruminative anxieties, fears, doubts, negativity, we let these things just take over and overshadow our, our more complacent uh, just life that we, we should be living and can be living and ought to be living, but we give it up to insecurity, and we allow insecurity to rob us. And, and this is a big part of self-coaching, as you know from going through the training, is that we allow insecurity to steer us rather than letting us steer our own thoughts. I call it active mind, passive mind. When we become passive to insecurity, we allow our lives to be hijacked. Now, with kids, I'm sure the same thing, uh, only on a more primitive level, takes place. But when, when kids get upset, would you say, what steers their upset thoughts? 
what kind of thoughts, anxiety thoughts, and, and try to give me mm. like if you're the five year, six, seven year old, what kind of anxiety thoughts do these kids actually have? I think a, a lot of the anxiety comes from fear of not being good enough, especially mm. at the younger ages, and wanting to impress and please the people around them, wanting to be seen and heard, and the and the chance that they might they might not they might fall short of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, so 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 they might be saying, uh, "Teacher, teacher is is really not liking me. They're not calling on me. Uh, what's wrong with me?" These these are the the anxiety thoughts that, if left to fester, become habituated, and they start you know gaining like that that rock that rolls down the hill, gaining moss. Over time, it becomes more and more entrenched, and as these children grow and reach adolescence and adulthood. They carry with them these insecurities, these issues of self-esteem and self-worth. So you're, you're trying to intervene with all of this. You're trying to interrupt that passive process. Would that be one way of saying the mindfulness is working? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that self-talk piece that I've learned through your training is really the piece that comes through the mind. The mindfulness just helps to calm the system. It helps the kids to find a way to root into the moment and to live live their life in a way that's not p- being pulled in all directions. Then f- once they're able to get to that space, they can start to tap into their inner thoughts and goals and really start to build mm-hmm. themselves up instead of needing others to do that for them. You know, you mentioned uh, self-coaching's self-talk. That that was in my uh, when I first started writing some of my books on on uh, self-coaching. I used the term self-talk, but with you uh, being my daughter and being influenced by you, as as you influence so many others, um, with mindfulness, I, I changed self-talk to a more accurate term. I call it mind talk now. Because this is, you know, mindfulness is really also about being mindful uh, of our thoughts too, as well as what you're you're trying to get across in terms of the entire person. But mind talk is is being actively involved in what thoughts are flowing through my mind, and especially thoughts that hurt us—the doubts, fears, negatives, the insecurity-driven thoughts. So it is very important that we we do take an active part in our lives and. If, if go a little bit deeper, and, and when you say mindfulness, you know, f- just being an old school psychologist, uh, we we did not study mindfulness. What, what, what? How would you define what is exactly mindfulness? So mindfulness is the practice of becoming aware of the present moment, which sounds really simple, and yet. It's very complex um, because our minds are always trying to overcomplicate things and to to still your mind in a way that can be present is a practice. Um, It is about becoming aware of what's happening inside of you and also outside of you. So, uh, yeah, just becoming becoming still in the moment. Mm -hmm. As you say, easier said than done, which is why it takes practice, practice, practice. And, and this is what, what you're, you're teaching your, your, your students. You're, you're teaching them to practice being in that moment. And it is, it is very difficult 
I know with with adults, I, I always try to just you know get people to realize that anxiety and depression don't exist in the present. Their their trips, I call it mind. Um, what do I call it? Gee, <laughs> I I call it time traveling. That's what I call it. And and adults will travel into the future. You know the what ifs and what if that happens and. I guess kids do the same thing, you know, um, how am I going to get my homework done? And what if I fail? And is there, is there qualitatively any, any major difference between when, when kids are leaving the present and getting off into their anxieties and ruminations? No, absolutely not. I think it's the, it's the same, the same sensation. And, um, I think that as we were talking about earlier with the onslaught of social media becoming more and more apparent in the lives of younger children, uh, that leaving the present moment is is a constant struggle because um, as soon as they log into that device, it it pulls them further and further from from where they actually are. Mm. While you're talking, you know, being pulled away from the moment, you know, we're 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 now in a in a kind of unique moment, and I'm sure you'll agree. A year ago, we were in the holiday season, and it was the typical holiday season. We are in a very unique holiday season right now. And, and, you know, I'm sure the challenges for many are apparent. What do you expect is going to be different for these kids who, who are not going to see grandma, grandpa and travel over the river and through the woods? And what can you tell parents to try to, to try to get them to help their kids? Not, not just get through the holiday season, but to make something useful and, and memorable about it. Right. Uh, the holidays definitely bring with them this anticipation and expectation. And I think that really living in that state of anticipation is part of the magic of being a kid. Um, however, managing expectations and working through potential disappointments along the way is really, really important in order to create a joyful season for, for children. And I I, I know that for many, these long-held family traditions are going to be thwarted this year, but that, and, and that does create a feeling of, of loss. And in some ways, it's a loss of, of loved ones near you. It's a loss of that tradition. But I think that, and I believe that with all losses, if they can be processed fully, it creates this, uh, this space, this opening for something new to emerge. But I, I think, and believe that people truly need to process the loss before they can embrace the newness. Um, there's great potential for something to emerge that never existed before, for these memories to be made that will be different, but maybe in some ways even more meaningful. Um, but first, feelings of, of loss need to be acknowledged. So I think for adults and for children, there needs to be space to actually access that those feelings and and those are the feelings that are difficult to to access um they're the ones that we've been taught to suppress so i think just noticing um is there disappointment in the fact that you're not going to see grandma and grandpa this year um in the way that we always have before and what does that feel like and and just talking through the things that will be different and the emotions that that brings up i think that's really the first step and then that hopefully will give way to something new. And there's so much space to be creative for, for new things. I was talking with my students last week about the idea of creating a merry cheer jar. And so many of them are creating these jars where they're going to fill 
ideas, things that they can do with their immediate family to spend quality time together like they never have before. So they, they filled their jar with 25 different little strips of paper with ideas on them. As the days go on, they, whenever they have moments together with their family, they choose, they pull out of the jar one of the strips of paper, and then together they create that joyful memory that whatever they wrote on the strip, like maybe mm. make hot chocolate, um, go around the neighborhood and see how many twinkling lights you can find, uh, just all different, you know, ideas that are, are different because we do have more time together. Holidays are important and they're important on many different levels. And once they happen, they'll never happen again. Not that way. That's why being present and, you know, even if it's the simplest, whether or not uh, there's a turkey or there isn't a turkey or there's a, it doesn't matter. What matters is to be present and experience that family dynamic as best you can. Now, you'll add a PS to that. When I say as best you can, what's the best way to really be present? Adult, child, how do you be present in the moments of this holiday season? Just very specifically. Being present is, I think there's this dangerous association with go into the moment and be present. And people people believe that that means that they should avoid whatever feelings or sensation they have and then outwardly just appreciate you know what are what are your senses perceiving um but being present is actually much more than that it's also going inward into the moment in this moment what are the sensations what are the feelings that you have internally as well as what is the experience of your world externally uh, and so it's it's not about running away from what you're feeling it's about it's about really embodying all of it. And so. And when, also, also, let me interrupt a second, Law. Yeah. Isn't it also uh, important to understand that no one can be present 24 seven, that, you know, it, it's just not our, our human tendency to just be present. I don't care if you're a monk sitting on the Himalayan mountain, you just can't do it all the time, but it's a matter of keep coming back to this. Okay. So you drift a little bit, something distracts you. You come back to it. You come back to it. Is that how you see it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are some people that actually set reminders on their phone to be present. Uh, and um, <laughs> that's great. I know others that choose an object like present a, by looking at my phone. Yeah, exactly. Excuse me a second. <laughs> I have to check my um, my mindfulness message. <laughs> yeah, please wait while I be present. Um, yeah, but uh, I have a friend that actually uses uh, the door frame every time she walks through a door mm. frame. It's a reminder to her to, to just sort of check in with herself. How am I feeling in this moment? What is happening around me? Um, just becoming present with that, mm. with that moment. And obviously that happens multiple times throughout a day. So it's a good. And I guess it trains, I guess it trains you to keep looking in that direction because every time you remind yourself to be mindful, uh, at first you, you're probably going to have to do that quite often. But I think that like anything else, as you start to acclimate to that kind of style of life where you keep coming back to the present, I guess in time you get better and better at it, don't you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also think that the biggest struggle for for me when I first started practicing and still even is is just releasing the judgment of the present moment. Mm. So there's this this part of our brain that wants to be critical of what the moment holds when 
we practice more and more, we realize that it's all good. Whether it doesn't feel great, it's still good information. It's still good to just sort of be where you are and not have to be anywhere else. Wow, that's that's really, really important. Boy, uh, just not to be judgmental. The world is. Our present environment is. It is what it is. We interpret that. But to judge it and say, well, this isn't good enough, or it, it could be a happier time, or it could... You are so correct with that. Lauren, I can't tell you how enlightening this has been. And you're my daughter, and I talk to you all the time. But you don't enlighten me as much as you did today. It's, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to extend to you an offer. I, I really have enjoyed speaking with you and learning a bit more about what you do and how you do it. And I'm sure we could go on for hours. But I want you to to really think about coming back and, and maybe even being a regular guest, because my goodness, this was such a an enlightening and, and just free flowing kind of exchange that I think can be helpful for a lot of people. And we have a lot of ground to cover, which we didn't get to today. And we really need to support parents and children during this time and these times. So I, I think there's really a place for trying to bring what you have to offer and what you offer every single day to so many deserving kids and parents. So what do you say? Would, would you be willing to come back again? Oh, I would love to come back. Thank you. Oh, that's fantastic. So, so uh, Lauren, I'm going to sign off with you and uh, I'm going to uh, make sure that you stick to your word and that you will come back. So thank you again. And this is Lauren Simonian. She is just one heck of a daughter and equally one heck of a mindfulness self-coaching practitioner. So be sure to visit my website, which is selfcoaching.net, where you can learn more about self-coaching philosophy. And while you're there, you might want to check out my number one best-selling books that are now published in 10 languages. So until next time, and hopefully that'll be with Lauren, Realize that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. And by definition, victims are powerless and you are not powerless. And remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join me each week and let's make Believe it simple yourself, together. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Hold on and fight. Follow your heart This is your way Life is what you make of it Believe in yourself Reach out for your dreams